0: so to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch.
1: $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promo rate for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com.
0: The Premier League All Access Podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. Stay ahead of all the big games in the best league in the world, the Premier League. With the latest odds, form guides, expert opinions and more, the fans are the players at Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at LabBrooks.com 18plusbegambleaware.org. T's and C's apply.
2: This is a game day podcast from TalkSport. Hello and welcome to the Game Day podcast from Talksport as we dissect the weekend's FA Cup quarterfinals and Premier League action.
3: Nathan Redmond, Redmond setting up on the edge of the area. Armstrong hits the post, Redmond back in, hits the net.
2: There's a bit of room for Kevin De
1: Bruyne who goes beyond and then it hits the crossbar after a shot comes back to Goodwin, diving header 1 0 Manchester City. Trying to turn away from Dummick, crossing into the area and a
4: brilliant volley from Neil Mopay.
2: Coming up, former England and West Ham winger Trevor Sinclair on. West Ham throwing away a three-goal lead and why Arteta's worst bad decision was made in the summer.
5: Uh, not on this planet or any other planet uh, is, is Leno better than I Amy mean, Martinez uh, for me and he should easily have saved that at the near post.
2: Talk sport commentator Alex Crook tells us Oli Gunnar Solskjaer sent the wrong message ahead of the FA Cup quarterfinal defeat to Leicester.
4: If you're Oli Gunnar Solskjaer and you pick that team... You were almost saying to your players, and I've, I've raised this before, don't worry, lads, it's only Leicester.
2: And despite his mate Alan Shearer calling Newcastle's performance abysmal, Steve Bruce says he's sticking it out. I'll never, ever give up the fight, that's for sure. It's not
1: in me. So, um, you know, I'll go back to work on Monday morning and, uh, and get ready for the next challenge.
2: All that and more with me, Sam Matterface, Travis Sinclair and Alex Crook on the Game Day podcast from Talksport. This is Game Day. Hello, gentlemen, Trevor Sinclair, former England winger, West Ham, Manchester City star, QPR, and uh, a catwalk uh, legend as well. He oh, posted. You posted a very <laughs> sexy picture on Friday on social media with dreadlocks and some 90s fashion. It was either 90s fashion or you were just about to do an art class and you were wearing <laughs> you know, clothes that you don't mind getting dirty. It was a history class, actually. Was it? You know yeah. what? It was, it was Friday. I woke
5: up. I didn't have any work over the weekend and I thought, you know what? I feel like i've got that friday feeling i uh, thought i want to pass that on so i thought i'll throw a little bit of fun out there and uh, yeah it got a nice little bit of traction it, it certainly
2: did didn't it everybody bit uh, i've changed my uh my, my my profile picture for you in my phone uh, to you walking down the catwalk at london Fashion. you Club.
5: have not i have of course i have oh you're disgrace.
4: so every
2: time you ring it's going to come up on my phone now um did you notice
4: with a hairstyle and actually even the loud shirt I saw a bit of a resemblance to Peter
2: Andre I think he carried that sort of look around about the same time he probably copied me could you do a bit of Mysterious Girl for us before we start (laughs) the pod I've
5: got a horrendous voice absolutely
2: not (laughs) Um, what's the uh, what's the Twitter handle just so that people can check out this picture Trevor 8 Sinclair at Trevor 8 Sinclair it's definitely worth a look I mean especially if you've got if you've got any nostalgia about you then you you will want to look back at the good old days of Trev you know it was when the, the sort of 90s football. Was Giorgio Armani's basic model. Like it was, it was great. It, it was that sort of time. Highlights of the weekend then on a big FA Cup and Premier League weekend at the bottom of the table. Anyway, um, what were your highlights, Crookie? What you got?
4: I know what the low light was, but let's start on the positive. <laughs> I thought Brighton were excellent against Newcastle. Uh, three terrific goals, uh, an almost complete performance from them and a, a massive step towards safety. And Southampton booking their place in the FA Cup semi-final because when we did our third round podcast and we were all asked to put up our dark horses, ah, yeah. I, think you, I think you went Aston Villa. I did. Lost they went in, in out the that third night. round. <laughs> um, I think Darren Lewis may have gone West Ham who are out. And I said
2: Southampton, so uh, last man standing. Oh, right, not for much longer, though. Uh, Trevor, what have you got in terms of highlights for the weekend?
5: Well, the first half of the uh, West Ham-Arsenal game, I just thought West Ham started really brightly, um, sharp. Um, the goals he scored, outstanding, like, just quick thinking. Excellent finish from Jesse. And then it went a little bit Pete-Tongue in the second half.
2: What a shame. Games last 90 minutes and not uh, just 45. Uh, my yes. highlight was Jamie Carragher's commentary, actually. Reaction to Pierre-Emerick or exuberant celebration of Lacazette's equaliser seconds after being substituted. He said, that's his biggest contribution of the day so far. <laughs> Witty and accurate. Right, let's get to it.
6: It's finished here. Fulham 1 leads two. So really disappointing night for fulham
3: but they were second best and can have few complaints well welcome to el classic Coast. and while it's a derby and not the derby this latest renewal has that extra edge because of its context redmond setting up on the edge of the area armstrong hits the post redmond back in hits the net and southampton moments after goal number three was chalked off do now extend their advantage.
2: Turner is steaming through the centre
1: here. He can finish it left-footed. He will finish it, whacking the ball beyond South Virginia, and that should be safe passage through to the semi-finals of the FA Cup for Manchester City. We competed against the best team in the world and the best bench in the world.
6: Chilwell down the left-hand side, 1st side cross. ZH controls. Oh, and finishes superbly, and Chelsea are through to the semi-finals of the FA Cup.
0: Brilliant advert for the Premier League full time. West Ham 3, Arsenal 3. West Ham took a 3-0 lead in the first half. In comes the free kick and he's headed in! 3-1
3: Leicester it is! It's Iheanacho at the far post as it was whipped in very deep and he's headed it off the underside of the bar and in! Leicester 3, Manchester United 1 and now they will dare to dream those foxes! That the place in the last four is going to
1: be theirs! Spurs then move above Everton and Liverpool into sixth place on 48 points. Villa now 10th, four wins in 15 since Boxing Day. It's finished Aston Villa nil. Tottenham Hotspur 2.
2: West Ham 3, Arsenal 3, certainly... Uh All the headlines were generated in this match. Arsenal were absolutely diabolical in the first half, despite scoring just before the halftime whistle. But that goal was always so important in setting up a terrific second half for them, in which West Ham appeared to be wilting. Then missed a great chance to go 4-2 up in the game, Trevor, and then conceded a very late equaliser. It certainly gave us entertainment, but I'm not entirely sure what the managers would have learnt from it.
5: Yeah it's a difficult one I think obviously the way that West Ham started David Moyes would have been delighted Um, the goal that they scored almost a little bit against the runner play because I think Arsenal from the get go had good possession of the ball but they weren't too threatening going the other way and um, it was just a good move down the left hand side Antonio pulled the ball back there was a great bit of detail in that ball because it weren't just a flick with the outside of his right foot. It was going down the left to get it back to Jesse. It was almost like he had to stab it in there to get it like through almost like the eye of a needle to get it to Jesse. His first touch, he, he improvised really well. It might, not, it might not have been on purpose, but the, as the ball bounced up, I just thought the execution and the, just having that knowledge to know if the ball's bouncing up there, get your shot off on target, hit the target... Unfortunately for him, the keeper wasn't able to get anywhere near it. I just thought it was a great start. And then obviously the free kick, when the ball goes dead, we come alive. Um, I thought West Ham were really bright on that. Arsenal were sleeping. I mean, their fans would have thought that was diabolical defending. But again, the goalkeeper, uh, not on this planet or any other planet, uh, is, is Leno better than I Emmy mean, Martinez uh, for me. And he should easily have saved that at the near post. And it was great momentum from West Ham um, to, to get that. And then a little bit of luck with the third. Great header, good delivery into the box. Great header by Antonio um, Suchek, as we've seen him do so often, box to box, gets himself in positions where he's going to get on the end of things. And it was a 3 nil and fully deserved for, for West Ham. And I thought, you know, here we go. I was, I was quite excited for it an absolute smashing of Arsenal. It, but It's,
2: it's quite, interesting, well. quite interesting to be on uh, Instagram at half-time to see all the mm-hmm. West Ham fans saying, oh, work's going to be great tomorrow. Can't wait for this. <laughs> this has got little videos of the third goal going in and all that. Uh, I think I described it to you, uh, Crook, as a cracking game involving two average teams. Now, that that was probably a bit harsh on West Ham because over the course of the season, they've been certainly above average. But the game showed up here where they really are and also was Arsenal's season in a 90-minute match, wasn't it? Some moments of brilliance coupled with Mm -hmm. some absolute rubbish, especially those first two goals. I mean, I I cannot get away from that free kick and the switching off and not being alert, not realising that they'd taken it quickly and no one following the markers, and also just a rank bad defending.
4: Yeah, it, it was a terrible opening half an hour and a, and a blistering final hour, and there were some really good performances amidst all the chaos. I thought Callum Chambers, who I've always been a big fan of, uh, right from when he broke into the team at Southampton, he you, had you
2: actually spotted that earlier. You? you were like, oh, I mean, wow, Arteta's picked him at right back. That's a really good decision, didn't you? I mean, you, are you sent me a text. I think it said that. <laughs> I think it said that. And not Wait. why has he picked it? Callum Chambers <laughs> at right back.
4: Well, no, it was a strange selection based on on how well Cedric has been doing in that position. But I was pleased with Callum Chambers because he's had his fair share of injuries. But I think there is a very good player in there. Odegaard, again, I thought was a a strange choice to pick him ahead of Smith-Rowe. But he was superb as well. Lacazette as as a number nine, doing what Anthony Martial didn't do for Manchester United. We'll talk about him later. So there were some good performances in there. But as you say... Ultimately, Arsenal's still a very average team who give away too many chances. I thought David Moyes was quite circumspect after the game, but I think when he puts his head on the pillow on Sunday night, he will realise that's two big points dropped for West Ham in mm. terms of their top four aspirations. When you go 3 0 up in any game, especially against a team of Arsenal's quality or lack of at this moment in time, that, that they should really have seen it out. So I think ultimately he'll be disappointed. I, I love Trevor referring to West Ham as we. He's got more clubs than
5: Rory McIlroy. who <laughs> was on Twitter earlier
4: in a Celtic shirt. He loves Manchester City.
5: And now West Ham are we. Which one is I, it? Uh, I'm blessed, crooky. I'm blessed. I played for a few clubs. So I've got the privilege of being able to support all them clubs. How many
2: games did you play for uh, Celtic, by the
5: way? No, my dad's from Glasgow, my stepdad and uh, I was brought, my mum's from Sligo so we're a big Catholic family so Rangers and Celtic was always a big uh, rivalry in my house and I was forced to support Celtic so that loyalty stayed with me. Was Was that your match-worn shirt that you had on today or was that just a a replica shirt? That was um, I think that was I played a friendly up there um, at Parkhead for West Ham uh, 2002-2003. Who were you calling uh, we that day? Um, the team that I was playing for, the current Blues, the Hammers. Behave <laughs> <Yeah>, yourself.
4: <laughs> I love that. I love that, though. I think if I was a footballer and I'd swap shirts, I would just casually on a Sunday afternoon, just I'll stick on a real Zaragoza jersey here just because I can. <laughs>
3: now played forward out towards Pogba on the left hand side of the box that's a nice turn to try and get past Farnes hooked it in Van der Beek lets it run and Greenwood scores that is an excellent equalising goal for Manchester United almost out of nothing Tielemans Tielemans still going Tielemans still going oh what a goal from Yuri Tielemans who went 15 20, 25 yards towards the edge of the area. And then with a finish of poise and precision, it in off the left-hand post, Leicester have regained the lead.
2: I thought United started quite brightly, actually, but I got a sense that Leicester were just sort of keeping them at arm's length, defending quite well, letting them almost sort of blow themselves out laying the traps, setting the the, the booby traps. United lost concentration and then it was 1-0 all of a sudden. And that first goal was a severe lack of concentration because if you watch it back, Maguire should never have played the ball inside and Fred, well, obviously should never have given it back that way. But I wonder whether or not Harry Maguire has to bear a, a bit more of the responsibility, Trevor Sinclair.
5: Well, I was listening to Jermaine on the commentary uh, on the TV and uh, early doors, Jermaine was talking about Maguire and saying he's he's every bit as good as John Stones. And for me, that instant alone, for me, highlights the fact that he's not got the same skill set. John Stones might have played that ball to Fred, but as soon as he did, he would have had urgency making an angle to receive it away from the goalkeeper to give the forward that was closing him down a problem. Do I go and close the ball or do I track Harry Maguire? He didn't either. He almost hid behind the attacker and that gave Fred a real problem. He only had one uh, pass on, which was back to the goalkeeper, Dean Hanson. He left it a little bit short. It's a great finish by Kalic. He really composed. But for me, Harry Maguire needs to make another angle there. He's almost passed the book to, to Fred and said, all the best, mate. You've not got me as an option. And that, again, it's a trigger for a forward to say, you know what? I I could get a little nibble here, whereas if he makes that angle, the was like do a go and press or do a go with Harry Maguire, so they don't get out of this press. And all of a sudden, it's it's a poor back pass by Freddie. Who I thought struggled all 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 afternoon, and uh, it's an excellent finish by by former Manchester City player, Khalid
2: Giniac. And he had teed it up beforehand, didn't he? Because he said before the game, you know, I may be a Leicester City player now, but actually I'm still very much, uh, got my heart at Manchester City. So playing Manchester United means mm. a lot more to me. Uh, the Once second blue. <laughs> the second Leicester goal was a blinding finish from Yuri Tielemans. It really was. But why did no one go and engage him? Well, that goal, in some ways,
4: was was symptomatic of the whole afternoon for Manchester United. You, You say they started brightly. I have to say, I didn't really see that. I thought they were sloppy from minute one. I thought the team selection was poor. I don't understand why going into an international break and therefore not in Premier League action for a fortnight, why you would leave out A, Bruno Fernandes, B, Luke Shaw, who's absolutely flying for confidence at the moment, why you would pick a midfield of Fred and Matic, which, I mean, the last time they played together, I think, was against Crystal Palace at Selhurst Park. It was absolutely dreadful. They don't work as a partnership. Yeah, but no one Uh, saw it. In in order to get the best out of Fred, you need Scott McTominay, who did provide a bit of energy when he came on. Mm. There were so many problems and... I just think it sends out the wrong message. If you're Ole and Solskjaer and you pick that team, you're almost saying to your players, and I've, I've raised this before, don't worry, lads, it's only Leicester. And that's disrespectful because Leicester are a good side this season. They deserve an awful amount of credit for the way they've coped with their injuries. They're very much a fixture in the top four. They've got a great chance now to, to reach an FA Cup final for the first time in a long time. And listen, Oli said before the game, uh, winning trophies is only massaging managers' egos. Well, I guess the the good news is that his ego won't have been massaged by that defeat. But I think this is a big blow for Manchester United, a significant blow. We're looking at four years now without a trophy. They're favourites to win the Europa League. Based on what we've seen, when we get to the business end of the season, even with a favourable draw in the next round, they'll get through that. I'm not convinced they're going to win the Europa League. And if they finish in the top four and end up potless again,
5: I think that's a disappointing season. Can Leicester win the FA Cup, Trevor? They can. I, I, I believe they can. I think they've got the squad. You look at the quality um, throughout that squad. And I actually look, looked at um, Ndidi and I thought, with um, what a player the way he is. Fernandinho what a player is. is potentially going to end his uh, career at Manchester City or leave at the end of this season... You always need to um, to rotate as as Manchester City often do. I just thought and he's there's not many better than him in the Premier League and and probably in Europe. He, I've I've commentated on games. I, I, I'm, just, I'm astonished by the length of his limbs when he's closing the ball down. He literally doesn't miss anything. You can't get through him. And he, just when mobile, you think he that he can't reach
2: pitch. it, they just yeah. go an extra couple of inches, don't they? Is that yeah. they telescopic?
5: Really, really, good player. Very probably underrated, undervalued. I wouldn't have thought he's undervalued by Brendan and his teammates because I'm sure they appreciate everything that he brings to that team. But yeah, he makes them tick, and yeah, I think they've uh, they've got a great chance of pro- progressing uh, into the final and uh, going to win it you know once you get to once you get to Wembley whether it's a semi-final or a final anything can happen and they'll fancy the chances you know you've got a player there that's been out of in the shadows a lot since he he made that move from Manchester City and he actually scoring for fun looks confident he's at that age now 24 he looks like you see the pictures beforehand when he was at Manchester he was a baby he's a man now and he looks like he's really enjoying being in that limelight and he's got a fantastic relationship with Vardy who must be teaching him Not forget about finishing and things like that he must be teaching him how to go out there and give it everything every game and what a teacher to have
6: box. Chilwell drills it in low and the touch takes it into the back of the net. It may well go down as an own goal. Ben Chilwell will certainly claim it for Chelsea. He fizzed the ball in low from the edge of the penalty area and it took a huge deflection on its way through beyond the goalkeeper Aaron Ramsdale and midway through the first half it's Chelsea who make the breakthrough in the FA Cup quarter final and it's Chelsea 1, Sheffield United 0. Chilwell down the left hand side, first time cross controls, oh, and finishes superbly, and Chelsea are through to the semi-finals of the FA Cup. A second Stamford Bridge goal in as many games for Hakim Ziyech. It was wonderfully taken, and despite all of their gallant resistance in this second half, Sheffield United are going to go away with nothing, and Chelsea under Thomas Tuchel are heading into the last four of the FA Cup.
2: Chelsea 2, Sheffield United nil. That was live on TalkSport on Sunday. Uh, Chelsea 2-0 winners at home to Sheffield United. Sounds very comfortable, doesn't it? The scoreline didn't really reflect the game because David McGoldrick should have equalised before the Hakim Ziyech clincher in injury time. Chelsea did make a lot of changes, but I don't really think that that could excuse the nature of the performance, which was a little bit limp, Crook. Yeah, it was. It was very similar,
4: actually, to their performance against Barnsley. um, It wasn't that bad. It wasn't that bad. Um, But as you say, it was flat. Um, But they always look confident they could win the game. But I think if they were up against a a team with more confidence and arguably more ability than than Sheffield United, it it could have been a different outcome. You're right to to mention the, the, the McGoldrick miss, because that was a huge opportunity. And clearly, they're going to have to raise their game Probably three or four levels if they've got any chance of getting past Manchester City in the semifinals. But it's an exciting end to the season, isn't it, uh, for Chelsea in terms of their top four ambitions still in the Champions League. Good, ch- Well, great chance of going through to the next stage in that competition and an FA Cup semi-final to look forward to. At the moment, Thomas Tuchel, you can't fault him because the performances might not be brilliant, but they're getting results week after week. And they've only conceded two goals,
5: Trevor. And this is this is what I mean. Are we surprised that they weren't very entertaining today against Sheffield United? No, because they're never we very the entertaining. Game. They weren't entertaining then. Uh, they didn't really look like conceding. Uh, but just for the sheer quality that they have got going forward, they are going to get odd opportunities, create op- opportunities, release enough men going forward to create chances and and more often than not they're going to get the odd goal so if they're scoring a goal in a game they're often going to win that goal because they're not conceding goals full stop and yeah I think Thomas Tuchel as as well as he's done he's took a lot of that kind of entertainment value away from that Chelsea side at the moment.
2: Yeah Pulisic played better I think today than I've seen him play in a very long time but I'm still not sure about the striking situation I mean Kai Havertz playing as a false nine does that really work Crook?
4: No, and I think that's clearly something that, that Thomas Tuchel is going to have to address in the summer. Um, I think we know now that um, Tammy Abraham isn't necessarily the type of player that he's going to latch on to. And it'd be fascinating to see if he tries to sell him uh, during the transfer window, which I don't think we go down too well with Chelsea supporters. Giroud didn't play
2: very well today, did he? Uh, no. He, he was sort of being asked to do a job that I don't think he was particularly comfortable with. He was running a channel at one stage, and I thought, well, you don't really do that, pal.
4: No, I think he'll probably go on, go on to Pasha's new in the summer as well, and I think that in some ways might be best all round. Obviously, Harland is is the big name on everybody's lips, and it's going to be a fascinating battle to see who can recruit him for the Premier League. But yeah, I, th- I think Thomas Tucker will want to go out and, and sign his own centre forward. So Roman's going to have to get the checkbook out again. I was quite impressed with Ben Chilwell, actually, mm. um, raiding down that left-hand side. Now, I wonder if the emergence of, of Luke Shaw and his inclusion in the England squad, maybe it's just given Chilwell a, a, a small kick up the backside. Rocket.
5: Mm. Giving him a rocket. I actually think um, Kai Havertz has got a great, Great um, understanding of that role. I think he's got a good touch. He looks after the ball. He keeps it safe side. His he's, uh, link up plays good. But then you've got to ask players like Werner, Puicic, Hudson O'Doy, the fullbacks, to go and break beyond and break that line. We was at the Leeds game, Sam, and it didn't happen enough. And if you're going to play uh, Kai Havertz up there, you've got to have willing runners. And that's something that I'm sure. If he does continue to play
2: in uh, Thomas Suchel, we're looking for them players to make more forward runs. Yeah, the masterclass of, of, of having a force nine for me is, is is Harry Kane playing for England against Spain, uh, where he drops so deep and he has two absolute belting runners going beyond him, like, like darting RAF jets. And he just keeps turning, playing the ball over the top and into the channel. And it worked every single time. I think Jaden Sancho scored in that game. Marcus Rashford scored in that game as well. I just think that to me is the gold standard of of playing as a sort of false nine or a deeper Mm -hmm. lying forward. I I don't think Kai Havertz has has got to grips with that just yet. Hey, it may happen in the future.
1: Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health
5: insurance for a month or just under a year in some states.
4: Pulls it back along the box, Mopé with a shot, four yards out near Mopé. Thinking think it was trailing leg of Dubravka that kept that ball out the back of the net. Oh, I might get a shot off here, Trusser!
3: Into the bottom corner! It's a right-foot rocket from Leandro Trusser!
4: Almiron out to the left-hand side, Fraser! Against the post, with a goalkeeper beaten. Here is Welbeck, edge of the area, he cows one!
3: Into the corner,
4: crossing into the area! And a brilliant volley from Neil Mopé to rub more salt into Newcastle wounds. And Newcastle United on the end of a hammering here at the Amex. Brighton 3, Newcastle 0.
2: Dismal, abysmal, they might be better with Paul Tisdall. Uh, Just one of the tweets from a disgruntled Newcastle fan base on Twitter this weekend. Oh, could have been. That was the sort of general sentiment crook. You were at the game commentating, as we heard, uh, for Talk Sport 2. Uh, He's been given the backing of the board, Steve Bruce, over the last 24 hours, but the vibe that he's been giving off is not a good one. I don't
1: think hunger and desire comes into it. We're, We're bitterly disappointed because we've played so poorly. So all of them things you can... You can. We have to accept because you know we were well beaten on the night. So all the criticism that comes my way, I, I have to accept that because it was a it was an awful evening for us, which we have to accept. To go
3: to go look, it's really difficult. because I, I played with Steve as a young young lad, okay, and I've got to know him over the years, and I've met him, and spoke him, and it's a real difficult thing to talk about when you like somebody and. You're also looking at what your job is. You're analysing football and it's disastrous at Newcastle at the moment. And I do feel, and I'd never say this because he's never that as a player, I feel like he's managing with a bit of fear and he's afraid to lose. And sometimes you can be so local to your club, you're born in the area, you're a Newcastle fan, your heart gets attached with a football club, but it doesn't feel like his thinking's right.
1: Sometimes you can be beaten, but it's the manner. And it was the manner which had upset me more than anything. It was too easy, too easy for Brighton from the first whistle to the last and uh, that disappoints me more than
2: anything. Uh Tony Cascarino on the weekend sports breakfast saying that Steve Bruce was managing with fear the manner of the defeat upset Steve Bruce he said to you Alex Crook and what sort of vibe did you get standing with him after the match
4: I thought he looked like a beaten man to be honest um I thought he looked confused during the game. Uh, Graham Potter pulled a bit of a tactical masterstroke because they had Dan Byrne not fully fit. They played Jakub Moda, who is a young Polish midfielder by trade. And mm. we as... Commentators and reporters were struggling to work out what the formation would be and where Modder would operate. So if we were confused, and you can bet your life Newcastle were as well. And certainly they struggled to get to grips with that back three and and Modder raiding down the left-hand side in the first half. It was interesting watching Graham Jones, one of Steve Bruce's backroom staff, coming back and forth, racing up the steps, looking at the analyst laptop, racing back down the steps, issuing some instructions. At times it was difficult to see who was calling the shots. I think the Newcastle players were confused. I think some Newcastle players have given up on Steve Bruce. I thought the body language was poor. Even Ryan Fraser being interviewed for for television after the game just didn't look like he cared enough. And listen, Steve Bruce takes a lot Uh-oh. of flack and I, I think he's warranted at the moment. I, I don't like the vitriolic nature of some of it because I think Steve Bruce fundamentally is a good guy. He's always treated me with respect. Um, he was someone I admired as a player at Manchester United. I think he's had a better CV uh, as a manager than maybe he gets credit for, but... At the moment, he doesn't look like he has any answers. And if Newcastle are going to stay in the Premier League, it will only be because Fulham don't pick up enough points. I I just don't see that they're capable of saving themselves at the moment. But the players have to take responsibility as well. It's not just on the manager. There has to be a certain amount of professional pride. There were players backing out of tackles at Brighton on Saturday night. That is unacceptable. Mm. Uh, And there are players who, to me just look quite happy for the manager to take the flack and and they get off scot-free.
2: Newcastle are favourites for a third Premier League relegation in 12 years, Trevor, after two wins in their past 18 league games now. Six of their next seven games in the Premier League are against teams in the top 10. Should they make a change? (laughs) It's a tough one. Um, I think there's a couple of fundamental issues that
5: Steve Bruce is probably getting confused or maybe getting wrong with his his team selection playing Almiron as nine and when you've got Joe Linton playing up the wing and you've got Carol and Gale on the bench I think that's a problem for me you know if you've got a number nine there play him in his natural position Almiron definitely plays better on the wings uh, either the right or the left I think their injury problems are huge. I think Callum Wilson, when he's available, I think Newcastle, when they've got a full squad available, they can give most teams in the Premier League a game. But when they have shortages, which they have at the moment, um, and St. Max in doubt as well, who's always, obviously a huge threat as well for Newcastle. Yeah, but I they weren't very good able. even
2: when he was in the team, were they? I mean, he had the odd flash of brilliance, but they still <laughs> yeah. weren't very good. Yeah, I but mean, they, they You can't they blame injuries good. on two, two, two wins in 18. It's not just about injuries. No, of course it? not. Of course not, no.
5: And I think, listen, Hendrik was out for for a while as well. And I think he brings a bit of stability into the midfield. But I just feel that the squad's not been invested into. Um, I think it's easy to blame the manager. Uh, but for me, like like we just mentioned there, players have got to take responsibility. And as Crookie was saying, why are we surprised that Ryan Fraser didn't look bothered? You know, come on, let's let's think about the end of last season when he was at Bournemouth. You know, he had the opportunity to play after restart and back his, you know, his, his troops, his his teammates, his brothers in arms, and and continue to play for another couple of months. He down tools. So when you're bringing that kind of player in, I think you, you shouldn't be surprised when they're not there, when when it when 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 the crap hits the fan and you really need players to pull roll the sleeves up and roll the socks up and have a right go. It's a different kind of player that you need. You need someone with a lot of integrity, someone who's got a lot of pride, and that, just doesn't, that doesn't come from that squad at the moment, and I'll, certainly not Ryan Fraser. Okay,
2: then I'll ask you both about this then. Are you surprised then that on a night where Steve Bruce had said prior to the match, this is the biggest game of our season, he didn't start someone like Sean Longstaff, someone with that Newcastle feeling in their blood when he could have done I mean it was certainly something that David Connolly during commentary on TalkSport 2 continually brought up yeah and you can say that about Andy Carroll as well who looked really frustrated as he headed back
4: down the tunnel at the end of the game having not been used that they are two players and listen Andy Carroll's goal record is <laughs> poor What one goal in 50 games but him and Longstaff get the club. <laughs> they they know what it means to pull on the shirt. And, and, and too many Newcastle players didn't. But I think there's a lot of buck passing here. And again, I'm not letting Steve Bruce off the hook scot-free. I'm not defending Steve Bruce. But I think the players are happy for their manager to take the criticism. And I think in some perverse ways, Mike Ashley is probably quite happy that Steve Bruce is the man yeah. in the firing line because he's been the one who's been targeted by the well, Newcastle
2: fans to this point. You and I had a conversation last night, very, very late in the evening, in which we were texting each other about the future of Steve Bruce. And you said to me, he's got he's got to go. He's got to make a change, otherwise they're in massive trouble. And I said to you, I don't think that they will sack him because Mike Ashley is a bit of a gambler. And he will think to himself, there's nine games to go. There's every chance actually that Fulham won't pick up enough points and there's every chance that we might pick up one or two results. And if that happens, he saves himself a hell of a lot of money. Conversely, it costs himself a hell of a lot of money if they do go down. It seems a very strange way to run a football club to me and to the Newcastle fans, I'm sure, and to everybody else who's been involved in a football club. But, But ultimately, that is the way he has run them for the last nearly 15 years, Trevor. Yeah but that's why the, the fans they, are against he once the put ownership. a caretaker no. in charge from January until the end of the season and couldn't work out why they got relegated. Mm. But they brought coaching so I don't, I don't I don't think changing um
5: styles or changing ideas which is what they brought the new coaching gonna do anything because it hasn't done anything up to now. It's the playing staff and, and the quality or the lack of quality that they've got there. And like I've always said, for me, if you if you've got a players who've got quality in in goal scoring positions, you've got a chance. And Callum Wilson is elite. Premier League striker if he's in that side they will win games they will pick up points if he's not I'm looking at the, the squad and thinking where do the goals come from so I think it's a huge problem It's it's been it, it, there's not been enough investment the fans told us months ago that this was going to happen and we almost palmed them off and said behave yourself you've got so many points in advance and in a way we should apologise to the fans because they've seen this coming
2: Yeah, well, Crookie did that, actually, on the commentary on uh, Saturday night, didn't he? You mentioned uh, the supporters. Um, uh, Look, let's give credit to Brighton as well, you know, that they played their strikers high and wide, um, split strikers who basically completely (laughs) foxed the Newcastle centre-backs because they didn't have anyone to mark. Not for the first time, Brighton tactically outwitting an opponent. Um, I think Graham Potter deserves a hell of a lot of credit, Alex.
4: Yeah, I I do. Um, And he's held his nerve. He's stuck to his principles. As you say, tactically... it's very difficult because you, you get the Brighton team you think, well, who's going to play where? Um, and I do think that foxes the opposition slightly and keeps them on their toes and that, and that can only be a good thing. I think it was a genius move to split the strikers. Leandro Trossard filling that central role caused havoc. Adam Lallana uh, back to somewhere near his best and Danny Welbeck as well if they can keep him fit. Listen, I think Brighton are going to be okay now. Oh, they'll um, be fine now. And, and, and mm. um, I think Tony Bloom, the owner who clearly backs his managers, backs the club, maybe all the things that Mike Ashley doesn't at Newcastle. He will now feel his decision to replace Chris Hewton with. Graham Potter has been vindicated because they're winning
2: and they're winning with style. Now, Crook has been panicking about Brighton uh, going down for ages because he's another of the teams on his patch and he lost Bournemouth last year. And if he loses Brighton as well, all of a sudden he can sit, start seeing, the, you know, the, the Silk Road of money that keeps flowing into the crook account go down the drain. Um, I've been saying to him for ages, look, don't worry about Brighton. Brighton are going to be okay because, trust me, expected goals. Here he goes. Mm. Expected points. They will give you the indication that they need to be okay. It was the it was one of the reasons, and I now will bring this up. It was one of the reasons that I tipped Newcastle. Or relegation in the very first pod of the season. The reaction at the time was, What, with Fraser and Wilson scoring goals? I said, Yeah, because last season they should have been, they were the worst team in the league by a country mile. And that is difficult to change. The dressing was difficult to change. It has proved that way. Look, they might not get relegated in Newcastle, they still can get themselves out of it. But if you look at the expected goals tally, it also tells you that Fulham should be much higher than they are. Mm. Fulham didn't beat Leeds on Friday night, and that was a bit of a shame for uh, Scott Parker. But ultimately, credit to Leeds, they're a very difficult team to play against, and that was a game which they didn't negotiate. They missed a, a good chance as well, where Maja, uh turned fired a brilliant shot at Melier and he pulled off a brilliant save. Um, but ultimately... You, are, you aren't going to win every every game when you're down the bottom. You're not going to get a point out of every game when you're down the bottom. I just think they're fixtures, although they're not a dos. They've got Saints, Villa, Burnley and Newcastle. They they can get enough points for me still.
5: I, I, I believe they can. I believe they can. And I think, you know, the job that Scott Park has done at Fulham is, is, is superb as a young manager, as a young coach. To have to deal with the beginning of the season, which we were there against Arsenal, they were so poor and they were so far off Premier League standard for me. And you look at the squad now, there's two players left in that team. I was going
2: to say, how many many players from that day are still in the team? Two players. So he's had to recruit and
5: bring players in, and that in itself, you need people around you. You need to know where to go for players. You need to, you need your, your owner to back you with the finances to get these players in. So he's had a lot to deal with the first half of the season, and he's managed to get that over the line, get these players in, and now you're starting to see the benefit of Scott Parker, his leadership qualities. I think the, the players are um, have bought into his ideas. They play good football. I think the players that they've brought in have, have, have brought great quality to the, to the side. And um, it won't be for the lack of quality. If they don't stay up, it'll be the lack of time. Time might just have escaped them because the run that they're on, you know, forget about the Leeds game. In general, their their, their performances and results have picked up massively. And, you know, it, I can see them getting out of it. I just see the the momentum, the belief, the desperation to, to be successful for the manager is there, which we're, we're, we're kind of staying his void from the Newcastle side. I didn't think
4: they played particularly well by their standards, recent standards, on, no. on Friday night. And and what would worry me about Fulham is I think in order to pick up points, they need to be at their absolute optimum. I'm not sure they're capable of just grinding out a, a scrappy result, possibly Newcastle with their experience. There are some good players in there who are underperforming. John Joe Shelby springs to mind. I'm not sure what he does anymore. But it, it, they could just galvanise themselves and rally themselves and, and, and pick up something where maybe you don't expect them to. So I think it's a toss of a coin. I think it's really hard to call. But a few weeks ago,
2: I thought Fulham were dead and buried. So the fact they're still in with a live chance is great credit to Scott Parker. Um, Aston Villa beaten at home by Tottenham by two goals uh, to nil. This was on Sunday nights, the late game. And Jose Mourinho has been speaking afterwards. and I have some quotes here from Jose because it's always nice to hear uh, from Jose. He said, uh, I'm very happy with the result, the performance, the attitude. I'm not happy with the feeling that if if you did it tonight, why didn't you do it 48 hours ago? And the match on Thursday will be a scar for a long time. But this is a victory for a group that felt ashamed by what happened this week week this is the reaction of men they were a team they fought together they put in the game that was honest that dignity that football players should have in every single match I actually think until they scored their goal they were pretty rubbish
4: <laughs> <laughs> yeah it, it was a terrible game to be honest um, I think there was one shot in the first half and that that was the goal that, that the Tottenham scored mm. um, Aston Villa run out of legs and they run out of bodies as well to a certain extent I mean we saw the stats during the game of of how much they struggle without Jack Grealish and I guess if there was a competition for the biggest one-man team in the Premier League you'd have to say it's a a toss-up between Villa Crystal Palace with Will Zaha and maybe United with, with Fernandez. but they do need a plan B for when Grealish isn't available, but it, as we said before,
2: it's still been a magnificent season. But it's,
4: it's just petering out somewhat.
2: It's a bit out of mm-hmm. order. Trev doesn't like the idea of having a, a being called a one man team. Having been in a one man team himself when he was at QPR, and once Les Ferdinand left, it was a disaster. Um,
5: <laughs> with all, Andy Impic was
4: good as
2: well.
5: We forgot to, we forgot to mention Virgil Van Dijk as well because Liverpool. Yeah. More than enough a cliff without him.
2: Oh, hold on a second. <laughs> Where is Darren Lewis when you need him? This is the time for lovemaking. <laughs> um, uh, with and without Jack Grealish. Um, yeah. Games with Jack Grealish, 22, without five. Uh, win percentage with 50%. Without him, 20%. Mm. Uh, points per game, 1.6. Without him, one. Goals per game, 1.6. Without him, 0.6. So mm. clearly he does make a big difference but he would do. He's a, he's a cracking player.
5: Yeah, of course he is. And it's not just the goal involvements, um it's the the, the way that he retains possession, um he, he the, the way he releases his passes to his teammates, his work rate, his leadership qualities. And I believe I think Dean Smith said he's he's still taking them that captain's responsibility in and around the squad at the moment, but actually that the difference between that and him being on the pitch is huge, as you've just stated with a few of them stats. He's a great player, and you know, like I say, it's his, his work rate, he's, I think he's matured as a player, and uh, I think them stats alone just show how probably, I think there's a little bit of a um, I don't know, it's hatred it, it, people say, oh, he, he dives a lot and this, I, I just think it shows the quality that he's got, and it's not a surprise to me that top clubs like Manchester City are interested in him, because I watched him maybe what was it Saint, Saint Mary's six year five six years ago for the twenty ones, and his touch is just like silky. He is a he's a proper player, and he knows how to receive the ball and look after it. And yeah, he, listen, he, he's destined for me to be one of the one of the best players in, in the Premier League at some at a certain stage.
2: And one of the things that the best players in England have started to do very well is learn how to win fouls. And Jack Grealish is very good at it. And so is Harry Kane. And in fact, I'd go as far to say that Harry Kane is a master of it. (laughs) I mean, he got a penalty tonight in that match where he'd made a terrible mistake. He'd overrun the ball. The ball was out of play. But he knew that if Matty Cash clatters him, even if it's off the pitch it's still going to be a penalty if the the challenge is deemed reckless and in that split second he knew it was happening and he thought right I can get involved with that and you never know what might happen and what might happen was a penalty which secured the game There's a fine line isn't there between being a clever footballer and cheating. Yeah, I think and it's thing. if you're popular in English, you're clever. <laughs> well, If you're, yeah, if you're foreign, then I think most people say you're diving. Don't they? That's, that's that's kind of where we are with How it. How it goes, yeah.
4: No, but that was going to be my point, because I think there is a danger with Harry Kane. And listen, I think he's um, he's a fantastic pro. He's clearly a great goal scorer. And he seems a really good lad as well. He's always happy to stop and speak to the press after games and doesn't take himself too seriously. But I think there are non-Spurs fans who are just falling a little bit out of love with him because of
2: the well, way he buys those fouls. It is, the, fouls sa- because it is the, the same as, as what we've, everyone's been moaning about what happens on the continent for ages. We've just finally cottoned onto it. I mean, let's be People, honest. We're a bit more honest, let's aren't we, be honest. As, as, as Englishmen. Well, let's be honest and say say it what it is. They're, they're, they're being cute. They're, they're buying fouls. They've learned from continental Europe and beyond South America where it is just part of the game and they thought well look if you can't beat them join them mm.
5: unfortunately that's the case and uh, you know there used to be a pecking order and there used to be uh, that kind of pride about staying on your feet and and doing things right and I think yeah. you know you see players come in and they're cunning and they're clever and they win fouls in the box and like you just said Sam if you can't beat them join them and I think that's the way it's going now and unfortunately you Know Jack's superb at that, but I do feel it's the responsibility of the, the defender or the person out of possession to know when they can and, and can't have a little nibble for the ball. And if they nibble for the ball and you, you've got your body across it, you it's a foul, and that's what that's how the game's evolved. And yeah, I think we've got to evolve with the game and with the way that referees and officiate are being are officiating games, and if we do that then we've got a chance to compete but if we don't we'll get left behind it's as simple as that and that's almost what harry's doing and, and jack to a certain extent
2: okay let's move on because we better get to quadruple chasing manchester city
5: quadruplenia <laughs>
2: So right-footed ball, 10 yards inside Manchester City territory, right of centre, which comes back to Richarlison, whose shot, is just wide. City coming down the other end, it's Sterling into the area, right-footed oh. shot
1: after a cross from Fernandinho, and it's just narrowly wide. Maybe João Virginia has got something on that, you know. ...towards Foden, who strikes from
2: distance, who's curling away from the post rather than in towards the goal, and it just veers at the last minute away. There's a bit of room for Kevin de Brunner, who goes beyond, and then it
1: hits the crossbar after a shot, comes back to Gundogan, diving header, 1-0 Manchester City. Well, it's all about Laporte and Kevin de Brunner trying to force something to happen. Eventually sees the ball hit the crossbar. It came back towards the edge of the six-yard box, and they're ready to pounce. Was Ilkay Gundogan play on? Says the referee. Despite a high foot, and De Bruyne is steaming through the centre here. He can finish it. Left footed, he will finish it, whacking the ball beyond Joe Virginia. Two very very late goals have sealed the deal for Pep Guardiola. Everton nil, Manchester City two.
2: Everton 0, Manchester City 2 live on Talksport on Saturday night I was there uh obviously Trevor very cocky about the fact that they're going to win all four uh, Pep wasn't after the game he was just he's not entertaining any chat about it whatsoever Uh, this is the next game and that's it and move on blah 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 Um, but it was achieved in the last 10 minutes it wasn't the most easiest of victories in fact Everton did very very well Um, but it does mean thanks to late goals from Milkai Gundogan and Kevin De Bruyne that the club have reached the last four of the competition three years running for the first time since 1932 and Trevor obviously remembers that very well but uh, (laughs) is the quadruple on you clearly think it is
5: well, of course it is. I mean, they're still in it. Uh, you know, they're in the, the um, EFL Cup final uh, against Spurs, which you don't know which Spurs is going to turn up. So that's a one-off game. Um, semi-finals now of the FA Cup. Uh, they've got Borussia Dortmund, who I feel uh, are a great team. Uh, and if they dictate play, they can be a very dangerous team. What I just don't Harland? think they'll dictate. What about Haaland? I, I can, ha- can you I keep mean, him quiet? Can you keep him quiet? Can you, can you? Well, how many goals have you seen off the break where Haaland's been chasing a ball over the top from the halfway line, gets on it and scores? I haven't seen many. It's usually there being given to him in and around the edge of the 18-yard box. He makes a clever run and he's clinical with his finishing. I don't think that brushy Dortmund will be in that position on the pitch a lot because Manchester City will dictate play. I think the midfield will dictate their midfield and defensively they're quite weak as we've seen with the 2-0 lead they had against. Let's just write the season
2: off. Let's just give them everything. Let's just do it. Yeah, forget. Well, no. Let's Listen, be... that's, a,
5: that's a game I think they can progress in. Uh, obviously, the Premier League, you're almost kind of making them very much favourites for that. So, yeah, of course they can do it. But, like, I think Pep's right. You know, they're not going to talk about it. Maybe in-house they'll be talking about it. But, realistically, they've just got to concentrate on rotating each week, concentrating on the next game, and getting the job done. And that's exactly what they're doing.
2: Yeah, and and, and Everton made it a a tricky game with a brilliant shape. Five defenders, effective counter-attacks. They smothered City whenever they got the ball in midfield. Ancelotti said that that was a positive. But what you just said there, I think, highlights the gulf between the two. Manchester City can rotate. the Most of the rest of the Premier League cannot rotate to the extent that Pep Guardiola can. Because their bench on Saturday, when you compared it to the Everton bench, City's bench worth about £420 million (laughs) compared to Everton, who had five academy graduates amongst their substitutes. Most of them were 18, 19 and 20. They had two goalkeepers who had never played in the first team. And Sergio Aguero, Ferran Torres and João Cancelo just sat there with their feet up going, ah. (laughs) <laughs> this is great. Look, they didn't sit there with the flip flops on and somebody else's goalie gloves like Deli Alley did on uh, Sunday night, but they, they they were pretty rested. Yeah, and we've
4: spoken a lot about Everton's squad depth um over the course of the this the season, so it's no surprise to me that They don't have the options on their bench that maybe Manchester City do. I I think the biggest concern for any team playing Manchester City and uh, Borussia Dortmund will will fall into this category is they don't don't give you chances. So Haaland might well be the the best striker on the planet at the moment, but how many opportunities is he going to get against this Manchester Mm. City back line? Uh, Another... Brilliant display from, from Gundogan. Great header from him, and I think he's a massive contender for Player of the Year. But I do like the fact that Trevor's conveniently skirted around the fact that yes, they've got Borussia Dortmund in the next round of the Champions League. And I think they will have too much for them. Then there'll be a certain Bayern yeah, Munich yeah. lying in wait in the in the semi-finals. That that might be a PSG. a bigger step
2: up. Yeah, or PSG. Don't write off PSG. Yeah. Yeah. I'm right. Yeah, well,
6: off listen, PSG. you've got you've got going to team PSG. Team PSG. Gonna win that
5: you've got to you've got to beat the best teams if you're going to win the champions league anyway it's just it is a more difficult half of the draw i think everyone accepts that
2: you also have um, also haven't mentioned the chelsea in the final i
5: mean mm, yeah. potentially <laughs> Potentially. Have you won already as well? Very confident, Sam.
2: Uh, no, uh, um, yeah, absolutely listen, not. This, I was just being facetious.
5: Uh, yeah, but I think listening, Pep's rotating really well. Uh it was a difficult game. I thought I thought Everton were physical. I thought they defended really well. Like like Crookie just said, they were they well organized. And listen, Carlo Ancelotti is no mug. You know, we give it a right good go, and that's probably as close as they could have got to beating Manchester City. They may have scored on one of the counter counter attacks. Seventy-five percent possession to Manchester City. They passed them off the park. You know, without really having too many dangerous situations. And in the end, no one was surprised when Manchester City got that breakthrough goal because it was coming. But when you hear Carlo Ancelotti, for me, again, you know, he's one of the most real-speaking managers out there. And nice, he, he's not trying to dress anything up. He said that Manchester City are probably. Best team in the world. Well, he's, he's not saying they, that he
2: said to me they were the best team in the world. Well, he said seen, and for 85 minutes, seen. we competed with them. So we've got to say that as a positive.
5: Exactly. And he's not saying that to win any friends over. He's saying that because he actually believes it. And the knowledge that he's got, you have to take him seriously. So for me, Manchester are in around it, whether they can win every game or not, that'll be a huge achievement. Absolutely huge almighty achievement. And all the players, the coaches, everyone will deserve a lot of credit for that. But take every game as it comes and let's just keep on
2: knocking them down. Bournemouth nil, Southampton 3 was the other quarterfinal, the final uh, quarterfinal, the first one of the weekend, but the one that we haven't looked at yet on Saturday. And despite their wretched recent Premier League run, Saints' top flight quality sort of shone through, didn't it, in Saturday's uh, quarterfinal at Championship Neighbours Bournemouth. I thought this was An unexpected mismatch. I know that Bournemouth had injuries, but Saints were in charge from beginning until end, Crook.
4: Yeah, it was a bit of a reality check for Bournemouth, who who gone into the game on the back of a really important and a really impressive win against Swansea. But I think it does highlight the the golfing class now, even between the top championship teams and those struggling at the bottom of the Premier League. Southampton they were very professional. They, they they were dominant from start to finish, scored some good goals. Shea Adams lively again. Nathan Redmond, who's had a bit of a season to forget, really, and I think he is someone who needs to get back on track and And hopefully that the goals that he scored and the, and the performance he produced on a personal level will get him firing now for the rest of the season. And, and as much as Leicester City will fancy their chances now of getting through in that semi-final, Southampton will be thinking exactly the same because they've avoided Chelsea and Manchester City. They've got the easier draw on paper. And it's been a long time since they won the FA Cup as well. So I'm, I'm pleased with who hutel because they haven't got much to play for in the Premier League and it just keeps their season burning.
2: Nobody will mention the 9-0 in the build-up to the semi-final. I no. promise. No one will ever even think about saying it. I'm sure it won't even come up in conversation. But I do know this... Iose Perez is going to start that semi-final. (laughs) That is for sure. Um, I think Stuart Armstrong's had a really good season. He played really well in that game. But I didn't understand Bournemouth's tactic of of, of just pumping the ball long up to Philip Binning and hoping that Solanke would pick up the pieces. It didn't Mm. really work because Vestergaard is about as tall as the Shard. So <laughs> it, it was just—it just it just wasn't happening. It just wasn't happening. Um, two big events happening this week, by the way, folks. I don't know if you know about this. England are playing uh, against San Marino, the worst team in the world officially, bottom of the FIFA rankings. Um, and uh, Lucy, our esteemed producer, is going to turn 25. Woo! she's, she's, she's here birthday. with us happy birthday to you Lucy and we're not around this week because uh, you yeah, know international duty gives us an opportunity to take a little pause uh, but Lucy how will you be celebrating your, your, your birthday
0: well oh, I'm a little bit gutted you
4: see
2: alright okay
4: um, so I had big big you know plans and all that yeah but it's all obviously gone to pot so instead I've treated myself yeah and uh, I went online oh and I've actually uh, Hold on, ordered... where's this going?
2: <laughs> Turn your camera off before you start.
4: I have ordered... <laughs> I've actually ordered a mobile hot tub to be delivered to the house on my birthday.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, scratch <laughs> the outro. Really that really sounds thought. great. I like that. Uh, okay, so, you, so you've ordered the hot tub. Um, it, it's, yeah. uh, let me get this right, because Saturday uh, is what day? Is it past the 29th of March? loose can you hold on to that is it yours to keep or is it just renting
4: it's a two-day hire and it does actually cap past the 29th brilliant good
2: okay so we'll all come round on the 29th and we can have a hot tub party in your garden because we're allowed to do that
4: yeah it will be like a public swimming pool though you do have to shower before you get in
2: well this is good news and crook you can wax before you get in He's stuck for words fun. now. I was waiting that for his little witty fun. comeback. he well, never no, had one.
4: In fairness, my, my, my uh, Mrs. Crook does make me uh, have a back wax before oh, we oh, go yeah. on a <laughs> summer holiday. Oh,
2: dear. Oh, that's good. So, so okay, that's really one good, good that thing about the pandemic. I haven't had to have a back wax for a while. <laughs> <laughs> oh, crikey. Can you imagine that poor person who has to do the back wax when eventually those oh, salons oh, open again? Oh, no. It's going gonna, it's gonna to need some serious... Uh, what do you use? Do you, Vite or... Or is it more sophisticated than that?
4: It's hot wax and, and strips. Yeah, it's not that sophisticated. You, you, you've but, been on the radio
2: oof. a lot recently. Surely you now can afford laser treatment. It, well, I tell you what, the, the hot wax is painful, so I might well go down that road. There you go. Okay, well, Lucy, happy birthday to you. Happy uh, Eng- birthday. England are playing against San Marino on Thursday and then against Albania away from home. Uh, and then at home against Poland, there was a suggestion that uh, Piontek of Hertha Berlin, uh, Arcadius Milik of France and Lewandowski of Bayern, uh, France, of Marseille, of Bayern Munich would not be able to travel uh, to uh, England with Poland because of quarantine rules. But it looks now that that's all been sort of sorted out and Lewandowski and Piontek will be a part of the uh, the Polish contingent that play against England on that Wednesday night. And that's arguably their biggest home game. Well, it is their biggest home game because the the rest of the matches in the group probably should be easily secured. Mm. Um, uh, I mean, how enthused are you by the the naming of the England squad, Trevor? Because he has made some brave decisions in that.
5: Yeah, I think um, there was a lot, a lot of expected ones for us going to Premier League games, seeing the performance and the, and the um, consistency, especially from. <laughs> Someone like Luke Shaw, we expected him to be back in the mm. squad. John Stones, again, you know, the, the quality that he's brought to the Manchester City side this season. It was a no-brainer for me, and especially with the injuries that they've got in them positions. Um, I think the, the goalkeeper um, was an interesting one, obviously uh, being brought in. Um, Johnston. Yeah, I, I, I've been impressed with him. And I did think, you know, if there was a goalkeeper, that uh, one of the keepers that Gareth tends to pick got in. He could have a chance, um, so I'm pleased that he's got an opportunity because he's again, he's been consistent. He's had a lot of shots to face, um, but for me, when I look at a goalkeeper, I look at his qualities. He's shot stopping, coming out for crosses, um, he's he playing out with the ball at his feet. He's got everything that he takes, and he has got one cap I believe. So he's, he's not a stranger to the um, to the to the group. So yeah, that's that's an exciting opportunity for him with Jordan Pickford being injured for this.
2: Yeah, he's, he's not got a senior cap, but he has been uh, capped at to age group uh, level. So he's, he's been Oh right, in- I
5: thought he'd been in the. No, squad.
2: he's he's very much been part of the sort of the squad we Southgate before. I think in the under sure. twenties, previous to that. Um, Trent Alexander Arnold got the headlines. I'm not surprised by that at all because I think the quality of the right backs is, is quite high, and he hasn't been at his level. And I think you know ultimately you can only take 23 players to a tournament. He's picked 26 this time. I actually think that full is going to be the area which causes the most headlines when it comes to naming the squad. Because I don't think he's going to take Shaw and Chilwell. I think he'll take one of them and Bakayu Saka because Saka can play in a variety of different positions. And you, you've got Trippier, who I think he'll also take, who mm. can play on the left-hand side. They've already got Walker as cover, who's part of the centre-back battalion. So I just don't think they're going to take all of those full-backs. I just don't think there's any need to. It's a big decision, isn't it? And as you say, one that will will grab the headlines. Are we thinking
4: now because these internationals are the last round of internationals of the normal season that because Trent Alexander-Arnold is not in this squad, then he's facing a real uphill battle? Yeah.
2: To so so. make the it's European finished. Championships potentially, I yeah. think I, I think uh, he just thinks Rhys James is better. I I, I yeah. believe that. I think he th- he thinks that Rhys James is better. I think he's, he's totally right. I mean, but for that position, I think he probably is at the moment. I think from I think he's a better defender. Uh,
4: you know, the, the the big skill set for Trent Alexander Arnold last year really was his creativity and his attacking <laughs> skills because. He didn't have to worry too much about defending, and obviously this season, as Virgil Van Dyke has been injured, and there has been more pressure on the fullbacks to defend. Maybe he's come up short in that department. So I think Gareth Southgate has made the right call. The, the other one that surprised a lot of people was obviously um, Eric Dyer being called up, and, and Ezri Konsa mm. not so, um, and Michael Keane dropping out. Obviously, yeah,
2: um, I think Dyer probably is, is a little bit fortunate to be honest I think he probably thinks he's fortunate as well to be honest <laughs> yeah. no no but I seriously because he hasn't played very well and he he probably knows that but what he has got is experience of playing big matches with England and you can only take so many inexperienced players I would I mean I'm guessing here but i and versatil- versatility yeah, versatility again got, for Dyer. You've, you've got to make there's big calls all over the pitch isn't there I mean mm. I actually think when it comes to it I, I think it's going to be quite a difficult thing to do to whittle the squad down to 23 but I think they think uh, it'll end up taking care of itself because With so injury, many people and get injured. And, and, yeah, and, exactly. COVID or whatever and form whatever. It'll end up picking itself.
5: Yeah, I Danny mean, Ings need to start scoring some goals between now and the end of the season. He does do. Yeah, I think so. I think his position is not nailed down. Um, But but like Sam just touched on there, everyone's so committed for this latter part of the season, especially if they're one of the players there where you know that Gareth is thinking about giving you the opportunity and you want to play out your skin. And from that comes injuries, whether it's muscle injuries or whether it's uh, impact injuries. And I just feel... There will be a few pieces of the jigsaw for Gareth that fall into place, but there's going to be some difficult calls as well for him. And yeah, he's gonna he's gonna have to let some people down, and that's what he's paid for. That's what he's got the experience for. Um, But one thing I, I think he should well, you know, I can't tell him anything, but what I've seen from the outside when you look at managers. Sometimes loyalty um, is, is too great towards a player that you've had history with before. And it might not be for the right reasons because of form or because of the way they're playing. It might be because you've got a history with them and you bring them in for that reason. I, I would always say to, to a manager, play, play players on form because you know if you're bringing a player in who's been playing week in, week out really well, there's a good chance that he's going to perform well for the England squad. And if you're bringing in someone who played well three or four years ago for you, there's a good chance that he might not be able to find that again.
2: Okay, um, those three games, San Marino, Albania and Poland are live on TalkSport during the international break. Um, That's it from us. Uh, Just to point out that San Marino have scored one goal in their last 24 internationals, so it might be a close run thing, and they haven't scored away from home since September 2000 and 17 Uh, right we will be back after the international break Uh, probably sitting there scratching our heads as to how San Marino did score at Wembley Uh, (laughs) please rate and review and subscribe to the game day podcast from TalkSport and you will get a notification on April the 1st when we return